Good morning. It's good to be here and worshiping with you and looking at God's Word. And uh, as many of you know, this summer we're doing a summer series by looking at the Gospel of Luke. You'll see a note in your order that uh, we're picking up uh, chapter 15 through 18. It's the middle section or part of the middle section of Luke's Gospel, and it's a long section in which Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem, where he will suffer and die and where he will rise from the dead. And as part of on that journey, it's, it's helpful to know that he is teaching and he is healing and he is inviting all to come and follow him. And there begins to be kind of three groups of people that are around him or responding in different ways. Uh, there are the crowds, those who are interested, uh, but do not follow up their interests with a commitment uh, of faith. And there are the disciples, those who are following, those who have seen in Jesus and his words life and have given themselves to Jesus. And there's also, though, the Pharisees or the religiously strong or the religious leaders, and they are marked by a criticism, a growing judgment against Jesus, a growing anger about what he's doing and what he's saying and what he uh, is about. And so those are helpful because as we go through these chapters, at times, Luke tells us who Jesus is speaking to. The last couple weeks, we were looking at chapter 15 and the well-known parables of things being lost and found, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. And Luke tells us that Jesus was directing those stories to the Pharisees, to the religiously connected and strong. And he tells them those because he wants these judgmental people to see that God delights in welcoming sinners. God delights in welcoming those who are lost because they were criticizing Jesus for spending time with sinners and tax collectors. But now in our passage in chapter 16, Luke tells us that Jesus has turned his attention to his disciples, to his followers, speaking to those who have made a commitment, those who have said, yes, I want to follow you. And Jesus now continues to teach about the kingdom, but this time through another parable, a parable that some claims called the parable of the dishonest manager or the unjust steward. And you'll see it's a a little bit of an unusual story and it's often described as one of the most difficult of Jesus' parables to understand. So that's encouraging for the preacher, right? Um, But hopefully we'll see as we look at this steward, this manager, that Jesus invites us to see him not as an example in his dishonesty, but as a window into how we think about money, and a window into what we're giving ourselves to, how we're directing our life. So let's look at Luke 16, 1-13. It's printed in your order of worship, or you can follow in your Bible. Jesus also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man, the manager, was wasting his possessions, And he called him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. The manager said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, How much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. 
The manager said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? And you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is God's word given for our good. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. We ask that you would help us to hear it and understand it. And by your spirit, Lord, I pray that not only would we come to have knowledge, but that we'd be moved to faith, that we'd find our true hope and devotion in you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we look at this passage this morning, I want to focus around kind of two main questions, two parts of the sermon. One is, what is the, what is the parable? What is the story? So first, understand what Jesus is telling us. And after that first part, we can ask, what is the message for us? And as we look at that message, there's two things that I want us to see this morning. So let's start, though, with that first question. What is this parable? What is the story? How does the story work? And I want to start by saying I saw an article in the newspaper this past week about a tennis player who was playing at the famous tournament Wimbledon an Australian player named Tomic, and he was in the news, not because he played well, but because he was fined a large amount of money, about $50,000, for being lazy during his match. I didn't even know this could happen. Did you know this? He was fined by the tournament for unprofessional play, that he failed to chase down balls, and he appeared indifferent during the match. So $50,000. In his post-match press conference, the article said that he looked like he'd wanted to be anywhere but there, that he avoided eye contact and didn't really answer questions. And at the end of the press conference, he said, I am so bored with Wimbledon. I am so bored with Wimbledon. Well, I share that with you, one, because it's just a fascinating story, right? But as I was thinking about you know, our performance, and sometimes our, a poor performance is overlooked, Maybe you know this from school or work or your own life. Sometimes our performances, not the best, are let go. But sometimes our poor performances are called to account. In this case, this man was fined $50,000 for losing a tennis match. But it maybe also helps us think about the manager and the owner, the rich man. So the story that Jesus tells is a story about two people, the rich man and his manager, the one who was supposed to control or use his property well. And in this relationship, all of a sudden, the performance has been brought to light. In this case, a performance that's not described as lazy, but described as wasteful or squandering. And the crisis of the relationship comes forth when the manager is found out. The owner who's expecting his materials, his possessions to be used well, is troubled and he calls the manager in to give an account for his book, to give an account for his work. He's not fined, 
like the tennis player, what do you see happens? In light of his poor performance, he's going to lose his job. He's going to lose his position. He's going to be fired. Now, this story was told thousands of years ago, but maybe here in this moment, we have a little bit of a glimpse of things that we could relate to, a sense in which our maybe poor decisions or our poor performance, our negligence, all of a sudden brings about difficult things for us, whether in a classroom or an office. Or maybe it's the other way around. Maybe you have responsibilities where you oversee certain workers, oversee certain accounts, and you have to deal with the fact that somebody has been negligent that somebody is not doing the work that they were supposed to do. We're invited into the story to think about what it is that's happening here between the owner and the manager. The the manager is anxious because he's going to lose his job, do you see? Now, it might not be obvious to us right away, but such a position was not a small one. It was a valued position in that culture. To be connected with someone who was wealthy brought you status. It brought you security. In this case, probably the manager had some level of kind of livelihood that was beneficial to him. He had a chance to be connected to good people who had other resources. He had a roof over his head. And now that job, that identity, that status is going to go away. And so he asks, what should I do? And in a very honest kind of inner thought, Jesus describes in the story, I I, I can't dig, I'm not strong enough, I don't want to do manual labor, I'm too ashamed to beg and ask for things. And he begins to wonder, what should I do when my performance has been called to account and I lose my job? And you see in the story, he comes up with a plan. He will earn or store up the favor of others. And the kind of reciprocal hospitality of the ancient Near East he will gain favor with others by kind of storing up favors that he can call in when he needs them. He arrives at the answer. He will alter the accounts. He'll cook the books. You can picture it, right? One by one, he calls in those who owe his boss a debt. How much do you owe my master? A hundred measures of oil. We'll change it quickly from a hundred to another number, to 80, to 50, I guess. (laughs) The manager says, take your bill and sit down quickly, write 50. Another, he says, how much do you owe? A hundred measures of wheat. Take your bill and write 80. And we get the sense, right, that this is not just these two, but over and over again, all the debtors that he could find, he calls them in and asks them to change their account. And we could picture in our mind that the people receiving this favor say, that sounds good to me, right? That's great. A happy smile. They walk out of that office happy that they owe less money. And those who have received an amended loan amount now will receive this manager after he's fired. Those who have received help will give help to the manager when he needs it. That's the story that Jesus tells. But then if you notice, or maybe it surprised you as well, that the story takes a turn, a turn that we, at least I wasn't expecting. The owner discovers what the manager's been doing, And his reaction is to commend him. (laughs) Well done. He's not angry. Rather, he commends him for being clever, for being shrewd. So what do we have to ask? What is happening? How does this story work? As I mentioned, there are a number of different interpretations about this. But one thing we can do is we can rule out some of them. Jesus describes the manager as dishonest, or in some translations, unjust. 
So we should be clear that Jesus is not encouraging you or me to do dishonest things. He's not telling us a new way to practice our business or be workers. Jesus describes the actions as immoral. So what is happening? Well, some have suggested that the steward is reducing the debt, 100 measures of wheat to 80, by taking his own cut out of the equation, his own commission, so that he's not going to get paid, but the owner still does, and the person who took the loan still benefits. Another view is that the master himself, the, the rich man, has been acting in an unhanded or not the best way. The owner himself has been kind of sketchy in his business, for Jews were forbidden to lend money on interest. And in this time in Jesus' day, someone got around this commandment by lending commodities with oil or wheat, having loans done that way. And so when the steward calls in the debtors and reduces their debt, he was likely removing the interest and removing, bringing it back to the principal, what they actually borrowed from the beginning. If he reduces that bill, the simple amount, the debtors will be very glad, right? You no longer have to pay interest. You can just have, pay what you borrowed. And as part of that, the master can't lay a charge against him because in doing so, he'd have to own up to his own practice of charging interest. He'd have to own up to his own actions that were questionable in his society. Either way, cutting out his own commission or exposing the questionable practices of his boss. When the owner hears what the steward has done, he commends him for his cleverness, for his shrewdness. And at the heart of it, he is commending him because this manager has secured his future with his present actions. He has secured his future with his present use of his position and resources. That's the story that Jesus tells That's the story that Jesus tells his disciples as he explains the kingdom. So what does that mean? What does Jesus' story mean for us? Well, there's two parts, two things I want us to think about this morning, two aspects of us to draw out. The first one is the visitation of the owner. The story is built around the idea, right, that the manager is responsible, accountable to the owner. And that there comes a time when that owner asks to see the books, see the accounts. And the poor behavior, the squandering by the manager, is not only a breach of financial responsibility, but it also affects, it impacts the relationship between him and the rich man, between him and the owner. And it's a chance for us in this story to see Jesus describing God and his people. You see, throughout the Old Testament, there were other stories, especially the prophets told about vineyards, about estates, about someone who owned the vineyard and those who were working in the vineyard. And in all those stories, the owner was always God, and the people working in the vineyard were Israel, or the the people of God. And so those stories that the prophets told, now Jesus picks up himself, is a chance to think about our relationship to God and to acknowledge to acknowledge that we have a responsibility to one beyond us. So think about it this way. We enter the story when we acknowledge that all we have, all the good gifts that we have, come from God. And that we are called to manage these gifts in our life. 
and these gifts belonging to God that we are stewards and we are to use them in a way that honors the relationship that God has established. In the scriptures, we are, see that God calls Israel, God calls his people to be his representatives in the world, to care for his creation, to use his gifts well, to be a light to their neighbors. This is the vocation, this is the stewardship that we all have. And so the story is a chance for you and I to remember that we are not on our own, that our life doesn't belong simply to us, but that we've been given gifts, life itself, and given gifts of abundance, and that we are to use them in a way that fits with the one who's given them to us. Well, in the stories of the Old Testament and the stories that Jesus tells, Israel, the people of God, you and me, all people, fall short of living out this management. We fall short of being representatives of God, fall short of being lights to our neighbors, fall short of using our gifts well, but we all those who waste and squander them. And so the question comes up is what should we do? When the owner's calling for an account, when the books are supposed to be laid out, what should we do? What should those who hear this story do? That brings us in connection to the, the verses towards the end of the passage. You might have noticed there's a series of contrasts, faithful and dishonest, faithful, not faithful, little and much, dishonest wealth or true riches. And at the heart of what's being asked in those contrasts, in the heart of this visitation of the owner, is do I live faithfully? Do I live faithfully to the one who has given me the good gifts of my life? See, I hope that we see when Jesus is inviting us to think about money, he's inviting us to think about money in a way that's different than our culture. Money is not our possession. Rather, it's a point of trust, a point, a gift of relationship. And that how we use our money, how we use our resources, says a lot about what matters to us, how we understand ourselves or what we think life is about. And Jesus warns us and says that it's, dangerous because the root of the, the love of money is the root of much evil and that if we love money or worship that that we cannot give our devotion to something else that money has a unique ability to call for our hearts and turn them elsewhere so god is visiting god is visiting jesus has come and he's announced the kingdom of god the kingdom of god is at hand and what should we do when we hear the story? When we're reminded that God has given these gifts to us and calls us to account? The religious leaders, remember them? The Pharisees, the religious strong and connected. They all had an idea, they had an answer for what we should do in the face of our struggles and brokenness. Their answer in the face of this crisis is that we should pull the regulations of the law tighter. What we need to do is amp up how the law is understood, how rigid we are in keeping God's law about what we eat and what we don't eat, who we can be with and who we cannot be with. We need to become more serious, more rigid, more committed to the law, more focused on setting ourselves apart. And Jesus had a problem with them because the problem of this approach, it left behind the very people that Jesus was coming to save, the sinners and the tax collectors, the lost. Also, it put the devotion, the faithfulness, 
on the person keeping the law. Intended to fill those trying to do so with pride or self-righteousness. It also reveals a sinful hearts, for if we're honest, we can't keep all the laws that we demand. And so Jesus comes with a very different vision in this gospel. The gospel that he offers is that the visitation of the owner, the one who's calling to come and look at the books of your heart and of your life, is the person Jesus himself who comes bearing our mismanagement, bearing our squandering. You see, when the one comes telling us that we have been made in his image, called to live life in response to him, the one who's coming is coming full of grace and truth. And Jesus even uses economic language saying that he who was rich became poor to make those who were poor rich. And that Jesus is successful, that he is the true light in the darkness where we have failed, where all people before have failed, that where we have squandered and wasted and lost our way, Jesus has been faithful. And here's the wonder, is that he offers that faithfulness to us, that we can be, receive it in our place. We could talk for a long time about this, but one thing is worth noticing, that this story comes right after the prodigal son story, the story we talked about last week. Some of you know the prodigal son story. The, the, story. the son asked for his inheritance from his father to go to a far country. And there he squanders his wealth. It's the same word. He squanders the possessions that were given to him. And he comes to the conclusion, I can no longer be a son. My best hope in life is to come back and be a hired hand in my father's land. And when he comes home, though, the, the father runs to him and kisses him, embraces him, calls him son giving him the family robe, the family ring, shoes for his feet. See, Jesus has come in the place of our mismanagement and our squandering, not just to restore us as a manager, but to give us names of son and daughter through his faithfulness. And it's out of that generosity then that Jesus wants us to use our resources in a new way, to think again about what it is to be a steward in the grace of God. That brings us to the second part. The second thing I want us to see is that Jesus' story is about the use of resources toward a desired end. It reminds us that we will be visited by the one who's given us these gifts, but it also asks, how are we using our resources? What end are we using them towards? The manager is clever. He uses his resources to secure relationships, to secure a future by building up favors that he can call in. And we too are to consider how we use our resources. To what end are we directing our money? Jesus doesn't want us to use it the same way as this dishonest manager in which he builds up favors to call in. Rather, Jesus invites us to a way of generosity that marks his way of being. We are to use our riches to serve God in particular to give to the poor or to give to those who cannot repay us. See, Jesus offers commentary on the story. The sons of this world understand how the world works and use it for their benefit. What would it look like for the children of light to use their resources to secure eternal dwellings? One way to see this parable is it's a how much more. How much more? If the dishonest manager knows how to use his resources to secure favor that he wants, then how much more should children of light, those who know the grace of God, how much more should we 
learn to use our resources fitting with the kingdom of God. The use of money brings all sorts of challenges, and we don't have to be reminded of that much from our own life or just the, the news around us. Maybe you remember in the news not that long ago, there was an alderman, Ed Burke, that was charged with extortion and brought forth a number of stories in the news here in Chicago about the Chicago way. It was high, quoted of doing business. The idea that in order to get certain permits or certain access to, for your business that you have to use certain, certain businesses or pay certain things. Driving up the costs for business activities. That around that same time, there was a study that was put out by NBC evaluating the corruption tax of living in Illinois. Somehow calculating how much corruption costs the taxpayers here in our state. According to this study, $1,300 a person is the corruption tax in Illinois. Crimes committed by elected officials costing a certain amount of money. And this is titled The Chicago Way. I don't know if that's fair or not, but at least it's part of our city. And you might say, well, I'm not doing that. I'm not corrupt in this way. I'm not as bad as an alderman that acts in this way. Right? But Jesus is asking us the question of how do we use our money? Again, saying money is the revealer of our hearts. It's one of the primary revealers of what matters to us. It's with irony, I think, or sarcasm that Jesus somewhat tells the story. Look, this dishonest manager, sure, he knows how to secure friends for himself in a worldly way. I do this for you, you do this for me. My way is different, Jesus says. We're invited not into a relationship of client and kind of patron or some kind of favor to favor, but you and I are invited into a family, brothers and sisters. And that by God's grace that we are united to God in Christ and that through that grace that we become brothers and sisters with one another. Jesus says, let us use our resources to reflect that relationship. Let us make connections and let us build hospitality by giving to those in need, by sharing our resources with one another into the mission of the church, by canceling debts or offering forgiveness, to give without expecting a gift in return, to give those who are even incapable of giving a gift in return. And to do so freely, not to build favor, but to honor the relationship that God has established in Christ. The generosity of God forms a people, and that we're not on our own, not exposed, meaning that we just have to hide or cover, but that we all acknowledge that our books are broken and not what they're supposed to be. But our place here and our place with God is by the grace of God the work of Jesus for us. And it's through that grace that we learn to be gracious to others. It's through that generosity of God that we learn to accept and receive and be generous to one another. That we learn to call each other brother and sister and also learn to use our resources towards the end of honoring God and caring for one another and caring for our neighbors. I pray that that would be the case for us. That Jesus' story is a chance for us to remember that we are before God, made by Him, accountable to Him, but that in God's grace that we have a chance to live in light of His grace with one another and in the city that God's placed us. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You for who You are.
And I thank you, Lord, for this word that you give us. I pray that by your spirit that you'd use us to draw us to yourself, that we may repent, turn away from false actions, and that we may find hope and rest in your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.